0: On today's show here in late August, we'll dig into the mailbag and your questions. For the most part, on today's podcast, the World Cup, extension talk, even what the concept of a world champion might be, we'll get into all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1542 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I'm your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Monday evening here in late August and into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. And right now, for a new customer, get $5, sorry, bet $5. Get $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. That's $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on right now to get started. Also want to tell you the top of the podcast. Make sure first listen each and every day. And please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Places like Apple and Spotify. We're also on YouTube on the video side. And an announcement at the top of the podcast, the long-awaited Trey Young Player Capsule with my friend Glenn Willis and I will be dropping later on this week. I'm looking forward to that. So this is sort of the final pre-capsule episode um, here on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And it, for the most part, in fact, almost the entire show is going to be mailbag questions. We're in the dead zone. I'll have some guests that line up, including Glenn, for two parts later on this week with regard to Trey Young. But for now, some mailbag questions, and I do appreciate all of them. I definitely put out a call for more of them today. If you want to send anything into the mailbag, either for to you know, a question to be read on the air or anything else, you can find me at Hawks on Twitter slash X, or at BT Roland on my personal account, or LockdownHawks at gmail.com. And with all of that out of the way, we'll dive into your questions on today's episode four. So I want well, just to say this, number one, number one of the questions, um, on today's show comes from Josh, who says, What do you think of the Hawks, guys, so far in the World Cup? Patty Mills looks great from what I have seen. Uh, keep in mind, I mentioned this Monday night, so keep that in mind when you're looking at the schedule. Australia plays again Tuesday morning, as does Angola with Bruno Fernando. So it's tough to be too timely. The the sort of timelines and the windows are pretty difficult in a lot of ways. I will not claim to have watched all um, every single second of all, all, all three teams that we're going to talk about briefly here, but... Uh, Patty Mills, to the question, is averaging 20-plus points per game so far through two games, one win, one loss with with Australia. Uh, if you missed it, I talked to Reed Wallach on the last episode of the podcast on Friday of last week. He's a little bit lower on Patty than I am in general, but I think we both, we both sort of acknowledge that Patty is a very, very good FIBA player, and that's always been the case, looks the case so far. Again, this time around with Australia, he, he moves well. On and off the ball, he has the ball in his hands a lot with Australia, but he's shooting the ball at a high level. He's very, uh, much more active on the ball as, as far as a creator than he would be in the NBA, but he's playing well so far, so good to see that. Um, from a Hawks perspective, certainly good, you can't argue with him looking pretty good in a FIBA play. I've seen a little bit less of Bruno Fernando so far. But he's averaging 14 points or so, six rebounds. As the best player on Angola, he had a huge dunk on Jordan Clarkson against the Philippines that made the rounds on Twitter as a highlight. Also, really nice assist at the end of that win over the Philippines. Good to see him playing well in general. And then Magdanovic is the other guy, of course. He is the best player for Serbia. Serbia is a 2-0 team right now with wins over China and Puerto Rico. Uh, bogey has not been terribly efficient so far but he looks fine to me in what i've seen he's much more of like the number one option for serbia than most um most of the time he will be in atlanta of course um but another guy who's a very good fit for people play good shooter can play on the ball a little bit more and you can sort of see him in a different light when you watch him play with serbia but um certainly nothing bad from the hawks guys so far through a couple of couple of days, a couple of games on the FIBA World Cup schedule, and we'll have more of this uh, as we get going uh, later on in the tournament if we need to. Question now from Sergio, who says, you laid out the best games to watch on the schedule, but what about the worst games to watch? When should I be planning a date night or something else other than watching Hawks basketball? First, I will always say this. People should not be be obligated to watch every single game. Certainly, you are more than free to do so, but there should be no shaming for people who are not watching all 82 games. It is what it is. Not everyone can do that. Um, I have to watch all all of them and all of them more than once, but that's the life that I've chosen. Nobody has to do that. I know a lot of that hurts too, and I certainly took my cap to you on all that, but just like the list of things that I would be circling that I gave you a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, it's a very objective list. It's all about schedules and all that stuff too. So it's each their own but I picked five games that I would say are the least appealing that I could see either due to the actual matchup or the timing or this time slot combination of all of that and more. So this is an order. Um, none of these games are actually early in the season, which I'm, I wasn't on purpose, but it's kind of maybe it's because it, everybody will still be fr- feeling fresh at that point in time. But the first one I will highlight as a game to potentially skip over would be Saturday, January 13th against Washington. Now that's actually mid homestay. It's a home game. It's a Saturday, but it's a back-to-back. It's a second time of back-to-back. MLK Day is two days later for a national TV game. And crowds are always good on the weekends, so I'm sure it'll be a pretty good atmosphere still on a Saturday. But um, I want to give you at least one Saturday or a couple of Saturdays to kind of you know maximize the date night part, part of that question. Um, NFL playoffs happening as well. Um, not a great opponent with the Wizards, who have, I believe, one of the lowest projected win totals this year. So uh, that's one to circle. Let's just say, in the middle of a homestand and a big game on Monday. After that, bigger, a, a better game the day before, etc. And that's where I'm going with that one. Um, another one, sort of in the same realm, is Saturday, February 10th, against the Rockets. Same premise in some ways. It's a back-to-back with travel from Philadelphia back to Atlanta. Uh, so maybe a game that guys might rest in, for instance. Super Bowls the next day. So kind of a big weekend in the uh, in the football world. All that stuff too. It could be parties or whatever. Houston won't be awful this year, but it's a game that's not going to be like a headline grabbing matchup necessarily on a Saturday. So there you go on that. And the last three games that I listed are actually all Wednesdays. That wasn't on purpose, but it's just kind of the way this this all broke down. One of them is four days later, Wednesday, February 14th against Charlotte. Yes, it's Valentine's day. That is part of why I'm saying this. I'm sure a lot of people will have plans that evening. um, And automatically that's one to kind of maybe give back to your significant other. That will help you in certain ways. Um, it's also not a great game. It's the Hornets. They're not going to be great necessarily this year. The Hawks see them four times. Um, so yeah, I would say this is probably number one on the list overall because it's a holiday adjacent evening at least, and a not a great matchup on a Wednesday. So that's one to give back if you don't want if you want to, if you don't want to watch all eighty two this year. Uh, March thirteenth against Portland on the list. The saving grace here could be that Georgia's own Scoot Henderson is on the team for Blazers, and I will say this was the last pick I made, so this is not exactly a slam dunk on the list. But I wanted to do one late game to give folks some sleep, and this is going to be a late one. Portland's not going to be great this year, I don't think. It's a 10 o'clock game on a Wednesday. It's also the first game of a long West Coast trip. So if you want to try to get a lot of basketball in that week, can going to be a lot of sleep going on. And maybe that first one is the one to miss if you want to go ahead and do that. And then lastly on this list, Wednesday, April 3rd against Detroit. I always say this, but – March and April, it's not quite the same in the NBA. It's kind of the dog days. Everyone kind of knows it around the league, players, coaches, staffers, etc. Um, teams might be tanking by then, i.e. the Pistons, guys are resting up for the playoffs. And this game is not going to be a great one, necessarily on paper. I am pretty high on Kate Cunningham, and Detroit could be okay this year. But by April, they might be out of it. And it's a Wednesday, about a week, weekend, week before the end of the season, Not a lot going on in the sports world at that point in time. It's also like Final Four week. So all that stuff, like a lot going on there, but is what it is. And one bonus one that I will add at the end of of this answer, I almost included April 10th against Charlotte on the list. Now, I already included one on Charlotte. And also, that's the home finale. So that's why I didn't put it on the list. But if the Hawks are in the playoffs and comfortably in the playoffs, by that point, and we already know they're going to have at least one more or two more guaranteed home games, I would probably add this one because, again, Charlotte might be out of it. It's the last game. It's kind of a bad spot in some ways, and uh, kind of a play out the string. Might have might have guys resting, etc. There's usually at least one game a year in April that's just, like, unwatchable. Last year was the Boston game. That was game 82 when no one played for the Hawks. Um, that might be the case in that Charlotte game. But, anyway, hopefully that answers the question, and, again, it's, this is all about personal preference, but I'm fully aware that most people, I would say the vast majority of people, do not watch all, all 82 games. Um, even when I am unable to watch live, I am required to watch all the games for obvious reasons, but um, shots to everybody else that wants to dial in, and uh, no shame in taking a, a game or two off over the course of the season. Okay, we'll have more, ba- more questions from the mailbag in a second, but first, they we from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel and get ready for the NFL season right now with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, if you're a new customer, bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets guaranteed with FanDuel. Plus, all customers who bet at least $5 will get $100 off NFL setting a ticket from YouTube, YouTube and YouTube TV this year. FanDuel has point spreads, over-unders, money lines, player props futures and much more the federal app is also safe and secure they cover the whole range of sports across the board that includes the nfl of course college football is already up and running now nba mlb WNBA, college basketball golf tennis soccer auto racing and much more and now is the best time to join fanduel visit fanduel.com slash right now Kick off the nfl season with an offer that you won't want to miss again that's bet five dollars get two hundred dollars off sorry two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel official partner of the NFL. All right, question now from Xavier, who says, what do you think of the Noah Lyles controversy on whether NBA champions should be called world champions? So I have to be honest, I kind of missed this discourse the first time around. I had to look it up. I'm trying to be a little bit less online in the offseason. But um, it is what it is. Uh, people that may not know this, basically no Lyles on the USA track team, and I have no idea why it even came up, but he kind of did kind of a mini rant thing about how the NBA calls itself, uh, sorry, calls its champion, the world champion. And he said, like, world champion of what? United States, question mark, et cetera. Got a lot of attention. Uh, it's August. That's very important. Not a lot of ton happening right now. Plus, he got dunked on by Kevin Durant and Aaron Gordon and others across the NBA. On one hand, to answer the question, I can kind of see what he's saying because 29 of the 30 teams in the NBA are in the U.S. The other the ones in Canada, of course, with Toronto. That's a little bit odd on the surface to say world champion of a league that's based in basically one country for the most part. But if you actually use a bit of common sense here and just kind of knowledge of the sport and kind of the landscape, the NBA champion would be the world champion, just pretty clearly in a lot of ways. The NBA champion would be... Um, Let's just say a 30, 40 point favorite over a, a team from somewhere else, basically. So in some sports, the talent is much more spread out around the globe. Like soccer comes to mind. And there are obviously top tier soccer leagues, but there's more than one. You could say the EPL is the best or whatever, but there are more than one league that might have declined to something like the top spot. In basketball, all, and I mean all, of the top, 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 top players in the league, sorry, in the world are in the NBA without exception. There is sometimes a guy or two that I would call like top hundred guys in in the world playing somewhere else. Whether it's in Euro League or maybe a guy who's just like too young. Like when Luca was in Euro League, he was obviously a top hundred player in the world, but but still he was seventeen or eighteen years old. There might be one guy at the top of the Euro League that's like a really good NBA player, but they're not going to be a super duper star. That just in the modern landscape, that's basically never happened. Where a guy who was already draft eligible age was just wanting to play somewhere else that was really like a top 50 player in the league. No one really does that. So if we can be adults, teams in Europe and South America or Australia or somewhere else would have basically no chance, especially in the NBA. We'll use the, the the nuggets as the example. Basically, if you put the nuggets on the court in June of last year, when they've been playing with each other all year long, they had Jokic, who's a top five player in the world, Jamal Murray, et cetera. And they had the cohesion and the depth and all that stuff they would have beaten a champion in any other league. I'm very, very confident about that. Now the gap has closed in terms of international competition. Like that, you know, 30 years ago, the U S when the dream team was running around, they were just blasting everyone. That isn't the case anymore, which is certainly worth pointing out the difference there. The most talented team in the world cup is the U S by a pretty wide margin, but there are teams that can beat them for sure in the, in the world cup. And, you know, there isn't the same level of cohesion at the top levels of the international thing. Like the U S team, they do a training camp or whatever, but they're only playing a handful of games together. Like they're not on the same page. Like the nuggets would be, or like the, you know, the, the warriors from a few years ago, et cetera. Like it is what it is, but the U S national team isn't playing at, at the same level. So talent wise, us has the edge there. But when it comes to like the club scene, which basically includes the NBA, take the nuggets against, you know, real Madrid or whoever the best team is from, from overseas the Nuggets would be a very large favorite in a game or series in that one. So obviously there's some nitpicking here and I get it on some level, but that's all this really is. Um, the world champion thing is maybe a little bit corny, but it's also just true in the way that this kind of breaks down at this point in time in basketball. Not always the case in other sports, but in basketball, it does make a lot of sense in some ways. Question down from Steven who says, this is not a Hawks question necessarily, but although maybe it could be, what is your favorite NBA awards bet right now? There are a couple that seem too good to be true for me. Now, he did list those that he thinks are too good to be true, so maybe I found them and maybe I didn't. We'll see. Um, I'm going to do probably a FanDuel deep dive on the Hawks stuff later on in the summer or maybe next month. But as a reminder, FanDuel is the partner of this podcast and the Lots of Podcast Network as our official sportsbook partner, so I'm looking at the odds there. I think, honestly, it's going to sound very square, and I get that. I think my favorite bet might be Jokic at plus 430 to win the MVP award. Now, he he didn't win it last year, so the voter fatigue element, which was probably out there a lot last year, probably won't be there as much this year. He's incredibly durable. He's guaranteed to put up preposterous numbers when he plays. I don't love betting the favorite, but um, just to break it down for you, Jokic has to win about 20% of the time for, for it to be a good value to bet on him. And I think he wins it at least that often. So that's probably maybe my favorite bet in terms of just like the nuts and bolts. There are longer shots. Like, I think Shea at plus 2,300 is a pretty good bet. Anthony Edwards plus 3,300 is a pretty good bet. You know, Luca at plus 700 might be interesting. Even Trey at 60 to 1 to win MVP. Um, I'm not just saying that because it's the Hawks show. I think when when you're Trey and you have the capability of averaging what he could average stat-wise, the problem there is that you need the Hawks to win a lot of games. But, you know, that's possible. Anyway, so I think any of those guys might be pretty interesting values at their numbers on an MVP world. Um, Further down the board, I kind of like Scoot Henderson for rookie of the year right now at plus 450 or so Weminyama is the favorite and should be, but I couldn't bet him at basically even money where where he is right now. Um, If the Blazers trade Damian Lillard, that's a big if, but if they do, I will probably like Scoot a lot in terms of at that number. Um, Chet Holmgren is the next guy in the mix of the top three. I don't want to let anybody else deeper down the board. Um, I hate most improved player, so I'll pass that one off. Defensive player of the year, uh, Walker Kessler is my favorite bet, probably I think at 25 to one. I don't think he's going to win it, but I think he could win it, and that's a pretty enticing number. And that's 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 something where you kind of have to have the narrative and the numbers, and he might be able to do that. Maybe Bam as well if the Heat are good um, as kind of their clear anchor at 10 to one, you know. I don't know. Bogey at six man of the year, 26 to one. Not a bad number. Karis Levert at 29 to one on a pretty good Cavs team. Uh, Gabe Vincent as a sleeper at 42 to one on the Lakers because it's the Lakers. Honestly, if he plays enough and scores some points, but that's a, that's definitely a yay stats, yay points award most of the time. Hopefully that's enough. Like if you want a desperation, most improved player bet, maybe Shaden sharp would be the one that I would circle at plus 3,100. A lot upside there, but uh, yeah, nothing's screaming at me at this point in time. I'll probably do some more digging on this, but I looked at, a, uh, when I saw the question come in today, I sort of did some, some quick digging, and nothing screamed at me, but I think Jokic is probably my favorite bet, as funny as that is, as he's the favorite, but I think he's probably the best value on the board that I could see, but I, I do wish that I had bet Anthony Edwards to win MVP before the World Cup started because I think he was like 40 or 45 to one before that. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but it certainly would be pretty advantageous odds. I think he uh, kind of fits the mold of a guy who could have that breakout that you have to have, like the real huge breakout to be an actual MVP candidate, and then you need Minnesota to win. Same thing as Trey Young. like You have to be able to win games and have stats, and that combination can be tricky to kind of find at this point in time. All right, last question on today's podcast comes from SG, who says, Brad, can you give us the best recent comparisons for Bay and Akong Wu and contract extensions? He actually said Big O. So Big O and Bay, contract extensions. Um, I thought about this a little bit earlier this summer, but I am reminded always that not everyone listens to every, every episode. That's important to note. And also, I didn't give really specific player contract comparisons, especially for Sadiq Bay. So as of when I'm recording this, there really isn't even a close parallel for Bay in terms of like this draft class. Akongwu um, does have a kind of parallel with, with Isaiah Stewart, who I talked about a little bit earlier this summer as well. But he signed for four sixty four with the with the Pistons. Um, he's the only guy in the class basically who signed a deal that's not at like basically at the max. I'll be the first to say, Akongwu is a better player than Stewart, um, and a much better prospect than Stewart. And the Hawks, though, I think will probably at least try to use this as a comp on their side. Stewart's played more minutes than a Kongwu in his career, despite being in the same draft class. So he actually, has more counting stats as well. If you look a little bit beyond that, though, the efficiency stuff is a Kongwu for sure. Defensively, a Kongwu for sure. Per minute numbers, a Kongwu for sure. So obviously, he's a younger player, more upside, higher draft pick, etc. So I think if you're a Kongwu's agent, you don't even want to under- entertain that comparison. The Hawks will definitely try to use it as they should. So there you go on that one. Um, beyond that one, though, I think if you look back a year or two and he said recent comparisons, I think Wendell Carter Jr. is not the is not the worst comp in the world for Kongwu as far as um, extensions are concerned. Um, they were sort of drafted in a very similar area in the mid-lottery, similar total minutes in the first three years. Carter played a lot more per game, just been play, playing fewer games than Okonwu. O'Connor has better efficiency numbers than Carter and has more defensive upside than Carter. But Carter had been probably seen as a little bit more proven. He played more minutes again. Um, Important to remember also that Carter's breakout when he averaged 15 and 10 was his fourth season after the extension actually was already signed because he got traded to Orlando. So all that, keep that in mind. It's always about timing here. This is about after your third season, before your fourth season. So not a perfect comparison, but I think since the question was asked, I think the closest recent comp I could find to Okongwu would be, would be Carter. Um, but even then, that's two years ago. And the financial landscape has changed quite a bit in the league since then. For instance, he signed for four years, $50 million. There is no chance that he's signing that deal. I, I mean that Okongwu this summer. That's not happening because the, the cap environment is just totally different. That's probably closer to like 470 or 475 at this point in time which is more than Stewart got, but less than I think the Kong Wu would take. But that's kind of like the range that I would say and the best comp I can come up with for a Kong Wu in terms of recency and rookie extensions. Not, again, not perfect, but something that's kind of at least out there. Um, Bay doesn't have one at all from this class. I think Keldon Johnson is the one that I would find for him that's a decent one in the last year or two. Um, that's actually from last year's group, whereas Carter was two years ago. Johnson was last year. Uh, the Diehards may remember this. Kelvin came up actually a lot when we talked about DeAndre Hunter a year ago because they were in the same draft class, and he signed before Hunter did, um, and that was kind of a comparison point there. Johnson had actually been as good or maybe even better, especially on offense, than Hunter had been for three years, but was drafted 25 spots lower and didn't have the same tools that Hunter has physically and defensively. So Hunter got four for 90. Johnson got four for 74, which I argue was actually kind of Based on maybe draft slot and you know projection more than actual production, but anyway, I think Keldon is the closest guy I could find in terms of recent comps to Bay when it comes to position, production, draft slot, etc. So Bay was drafted 19th, Johnson was 29th, so that's a decent you know gap there, but nothing massive. Bay has been incredibly durable so far. He's actually played a lot more minutes than, than Johnson had played through three years, but very similar counting stats—about 14 points per game. Five or six rebounds per game, uh, pretty similar on both sides there. Johnson was more efficient for three years by a decent clip because Bay's two-point shooting was very, very rough in Detroit. Keep that in mind. His inside-the-art game was not very good with the Pistons, but similar rebounding numbers, not great. Um, pretty bad defensive numbers on both um, for both guys at this point in time. Johnson is much more of a smaller wing type, um, whereas Bay is kind of bulkier, more of a combo forward, plays a little bit more at the four, et cetera. Not a bad comparison, though. Um, again, you know Johnson got four for seventy-four a year ago. It was a little bit less than that. That was including incentives. So it was actually about four sixty-eight, but that probably translates to like four seventy-five now, four eighty, something like that, with the new cap jump, and it's going to be happening already. So that's probably more than I would give Bay right now if it was me, because you know of all the way that I feel about this. But that'd be understandable in terms of the range that he might be in. I know there's some sticker shock. With 20 million a year, but with the cap, with where the cap is, that's like sixth man money, seventh man money at this point in time moving forward. And that's probably what Bay projects to be in a lot of ways, like fifth starter or sixth, seventh man. And that's it. That's kind of the range that he's in. The reason though, and just, I'll say this. I'm sure I've repeated myself a lot on this in the past, but the reason I, I would probably not give him that much, that, that much money right now would be, I don't think he's likely to get much more than that a year from now. And, my philosophy generally, not firmly, but generally speaking on the team size, that is, unless it's sort of a star level player that can make you look silly and get a lot more money um, in the future, I'm not looking to do extensions unless they are like what I believe to be genuinely positive value contracts. If a guy signs a deal that I think is just like what he should have signed for, I probably wouldn't do that as a team. It's not terrible, but I probably wouldn't do it. Hunter's a good example. I think that's a deal that I would not have done. And I think I think I think if they would have waited, they would have been much better off. Um, that's obviously a one-off. But I said the same thing when it happened. Like I didn't like hate it. I don't think it's a disaster. But if you want to do it over again, I think that objectively speaking, the Hawks would have probably gotten him for less if they had waited a year. Um, that isn't always the case. You know, if the guy has a great year. If they goes out there and lights the world on fire, then maybe I'll, I'll look silly. But I think if that was if it was that kind of level, you know, 475 4, 4 for eighty, I probably wouldn't give that. Um, For Bay, a Kongwu, I'd be more aggressive because I think he actually does have more upside and he's younger and he has more breakout potential. You know, if Capella were were to go down or be traded, suddenly if that happens in the middle of the season, a Kongwu goes out and has like a fringe, you know, all star level season. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's at least in the aroma of possibility. Whereas with Bay, it's not really, I don't don't think that's possible or at least not likely. So, anyway, those are my comparisons. They're not perfect. Um, And again, it's very important to know, especially right now with where the cap is going, that you know when the deal was signed is important. A deal that happened a year ago is different than a deal that happened now, especially a deal that happened two years ago, like the one that Carter signed. But um, co- close comparisons, I would say Wendell Carter for Okongwu and uh, Kelton Johnson for Bay. There are other options that are not quite as appealing. And again, Isaiah Stewart's going to come up for Okongwu I think it's at some point, but that's where we are right now. And again, um, I'm not holding my breath anytime soon for these deals to get done if they get done. Most of the time, guys either get done early, like i.e. like right away, for at the high, high end, or they wait until like all the way into the season or close to it. it has to be done right before the season starts. And the last two years they've had Kevin Herter and De'Andre Hunter, basically the last day that they were allowed to sign extensions. That's a very popular thing that ha- that happens, especially in the middle of the first round. And that could happen again for either or both of Bay and Okonkwo. Okay. That's it for today's podcast. Again, I'll uh, have more content later on this week. The plan is the two part player capsule with myself and Glenn Willis talking about Trey Young in a similar fashion to what we talked about the rest of the roster earlier on this summer. So stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to the podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. Also do go ahead and do that more than once. If you really want to support the show, best thing best way to do that is to download and click around episodes and cross platforms, et cetera, YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, et cetera. Follow us on Twitter as well. Slash X, I suppose at lot Hawks. Follow me there at BT Roland. And uh, thank you for listening, everybody. I really do appreciate it. We'll see you all later on this week.